So I want to start tonight by just bowing for a word of prayer as we just ask God to attend to our time. Father, we thank you for tonight, this opportunity once again to be in your word together. Lord, it is our great privilege to be able to sit under you and what you would have for us. Lord, we are your children. It is our delight to to just hear from you. Lord, I I trust that we would not be like so many throughout the ages, throughout history and throughout creation, even as we read in the Old Testament, who who hear what you say and then do not do it. Lord, you have such a great gift for us in your word and what it can teach us and how you want the best for us in every way. So help us to to rest on these things, to put them into practice so that our lives would be enriched and a full honor and blessing to you as well as to the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are to share with others. So we thank you for our time in Christ's name. Amen. So take your Bibles tonight with me and open them to our study of John's gospel. We find ourselves once again in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Over the past several weeks, we've been focusing our attention on the final section of John chapter 14 and the implications that flow from this promise that Jesus Christ has told the disciples in order really to fulfill his command to them in verse 1 to calm their troubled hearts because of the news from him that he would shortly be leaving the earth. It really began back in chapter 13 and verse 33 when he said, Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You'll seek me, and as I said to the Jews, I now say to you also, where I am going, you cannot come. Obviously to the disciples, he does not mean you cannot come permanently or at all, but there would be a time when you would come to be with him, and he is going there as he says in John 14, to prepare uh, all of that for us. And he wants to help them endure, help them endure the temptation to be troubled. Jesus said in chapter 14, verse 16, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That's a wonderful promise. Promise not just for them, but a promise for us. It's filled with all kinds of practical implications for our Christian lives and for all who know Jesus Christ. We're not simply the disciples he was talking to here some centuries ago, but also for us who are Christians today. And over the past few weeks, we have spent the time to unfold, really, to draw out from this text several of these implications. And I've given you those over the last several weeks, and tonight I want to focus our attention on the final one in chapter 14 that we left off last time with, and that is the idea or the reality of true peace. I said it was kind of ironic that Randy brought that subject up. Where would you turn to in the scriptures to really comfort your soul in the midst of difficulty? And uh, Ed said John 14, and that's the first thing obviously that popped in my mind. I think sometimes your most favorite scripture is the one you're spending the most time in in the moment. And so John 14 came to my mind, and my wife and I were down there talking to each other as people were talking, and we were 
thinking of other passages that have comforted our hearts over time. Psalm 46 was one in particular, especially when we lived in California, because it says God is our ever-present help in times of trouble, even though the earth might shake and the mountains fall. And in California, that was a very true reality. And oftentimes that would happen when I was gone, away going to work in Northern California, and she was by herself in Southern California with the children. Well, it became quite a, a comfort to us. Right here in John 14, in this final section, Christ mentions peace. Peace. And it's the final, at least chronologically, if we could think of it that way, not by way of importance in any kind of sense, it's the final result of having the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father, and He's going to send another helper, remember, another of the same kind as I am, another just like me, who will be with you forever. And so this is the result of having the Holy Spirit in us or with us. The older I become, the more and more in my life, I, I begin to ponder the reality of my own personal legacy. Maybe you've done that yourself as you think about life and the ongoing nature of life. Uh, What will my life have done and what will it have meant when all is said and done, when God finally calls me home, when I'm in the grave returning to the dust from which I was made? What, What will it be that my immediate children and my grandchildren and others remember concerning the life that I had on earth? What will it be that characterizes my life in their minds after I've gone home to be with the Lord? These are some of the things that I sometimes sit around and think about. What will I have left for them? It's the idea. All that God has allowed me to influence by way of their life and by way of others' lives, what will they be left with as a lasting value? Oftentimes we have those kinds of thoughts and our minds tend to gravitate towards the things of this earth, towards the material inheritance and what those possessions will bring by way of some kind of economic security to those who are around us, to our loved ones. I don't think any of us have the desire for our families to go through difficult times. If I said, do you want your family to go through difficult times, you probably would say, no, I, I, I really don't want them to go through difficult times. In fact, if we were to be able to plan out our own road of life, if God said, okay, I saved you, now here's, here's a blank slate, you plan out your road of life, I dare say that any of us would plan a road that is difficult and full of potholes. I don't think we would say, okay, when I get to this point, I want somebody to really attack my life, really to make it bad. We would plan a smooth road, one that's filled with comfort, one that's filled with ease. And it would be just a plan for our life. But also, it would be a plan for those who are to follow us in our life. And so we would work hard to leave a legacy of ease. And as I was thinking through the passage in our study tonight in John 14, my mind was drawn back to the issue of legacy, this issue of what is left, a legacy that's lasting, a legacy that will be enough for all time. 
It's enough for good times and enough for bad times. It's a legacy that's enough for times of abundance and times where it's meager. A legacy that is good for all time, no matter what kind of time it is. It would be an actual useful legacy for those around us. And so I want us tonight as we think through this passage, I want us to think about legacy. I want us to think about what is left to us, specifically the legacy of Jesus Christ to us. It's summed up, really, in the words to his disciples the night before his death. And it says this in verse 27 to the end of the chapter. Chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes to pass, that when it comes to pass, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. So arise, let's go from here. Now right before us in those verses, in just a few short words really, spoken just hours before what would be really the pinnacle, the apex of all of human history and the life-changing wonder of the death of Jesus Christ at the hands of wicked men. Right there in these words comes the lasting legacy of Christ for his people. Not just the disciples, but for all his people, you and I. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. It's just 11 words, 11 simple words in the English language, but they are infinitely profound in their meaning. When you read them, it it seems like one of the great ironies of Scripture. Here is Jesus on the night before he's about to die. He leaves his disciples with his legacy. Here he is at the end of his physical life. What he has been, who he is, is going to be left with them. And the legacy that he leaves them is this, real peace. Real peace in an unpeaceful circumstance. Death and turmoil is imminent. Yet the irony and the drive of Christ's words is not, hey, listen, this might be okay in time. This is no actual peace. And the nature of this peace is not born out of a pleasant circumstance of time. It isn't born out of a circumstance by which ease is right there, but rather on the verge of an imminent death. It's an irony. I was reading recently of a contest where 
Some artists were asked to paint a picture of what they thought would describe real peace. Of course, you got various pictures. Some painted sunsets with nice clouds in the background. You know, we've all seen pictures like that. They're beautiful. You can just look on TV and and see God paint those in Florida all the time. Some painted fields of flowers that were swaying in the breeze. Very peaceful serenity. But the one that won the contest was the one that painted a picture of a bird in a nest perched on a branch of a tree whereby the tree was growing out of a crag in the rock just outside the reach of a thundering waterfall. That's the idea of peace that Christ gives here. Because anyone can be at apparent peace when things are going well, but it takes supernatural peace to carry us through our deepest difficulties and valleys and most importantly the storm of wrath to come if you do not know Jesus Christ. Jesus says this will be a peace that is operative with you in spite of the world, in spite of my physical absence, in spite of the work of the devil. So I want us to look at all of this together. Jesus says, the peace that I give you is operative in spite of the world. It's operative in spite of the world. Christ's giving to us is seen in its fullest light. We have to understand this. Christ's giving to us His peace is seen clearly and in its fullest light on the backdrop of how the world operates. Notice, I give to you not as the world gives. I give to you not as the world gives. I love that, don't you? I hope when you read Scripture you stop and let, let phrases like that just, just resonate in your mind, in your hearing. I give to you not as the world gives which implies that that we're receiving from the world all the time. We're receiving the world's thinking. We're receiving the world's philosophy. We're receiving the world and how it operates. We're receiving in the world its definition of what brings real peace to times of trouble with coping mechanisms and all other kinds of psychologized nonsense. Jesus says, I give to you my peace not as the world gives. I love that. Because the world gives in ways that are so shady and so shifting. The world gives out of insincerity. Jesus Christ gives out of sincerity. The world gives cheaply things that are fabricated, things that aren't genuine. It gives selfishly. It gives to those who it loves. And doesn't give to those it does not love. Christ giving is not like that. Christ gives to us completely out of sincerity. He gives to us lavishly. Ephesians chapter 1 says we have had God 
lavish upon us His grace. Christ gives to us sacrificially. He gives to us everything. He gives to those who do not deserve to be given to. It's interesting that in Scripture, peace, especially when it refers to God, when you read the word peace and it refers to God and His character, it's always a positive. It's always a positive, especially when we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In fact, as we have been studying through Romans in our, in our series in the morning, we have learned over the last several times together that in justification we have what? Peace with God. We have peace with God, right? Before, His wrath was upon us, and now in Jesus Christ we have peace with God. That means the war is over between us. The Lord Jesus Christ has made peace for us. A peace we could not attain on our own. So Jesus says, my peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. What is this peace? What is this peace? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. My peace I give you. What is this peace? Some of you have shared it tonight. Maybe you didn't know you were preaching the text tonight. But here's the first thing to notice. It is a peace that is based upon a knowledge and understanding of God and His sovereignty. It is a peace based upon the knowledge of God and His sovereignty. Notice verse 28. You heard that I said to you, I go away and will come to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. The peace of Christ begins in our mind with the knowledge and understanding that God is actually in control of all things. Jesus said, I already told you this, guys. I already gave you all the information. You say you believe in God, you should be believing in me also. I and the Father are one. And the reality is that I'm going back to the place where I was greatest. The right hand of the Father. My glory will be reestablished. John 17, Jesus actually prays to the Father. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Jesus Christ is returning to His glory once the, one he, the, the glory that He left in order to assume, to take on humanity. And He says, if you loved Me, you'd be happy that I'm doing that. You'd rejoice that I'm doing that because Me going away is better for you because I'm going to ask the Father and the Helper is going to come and be with you forever. And you can't have that as long as I'm here. So it's, it's a must that I do go. And so we have to understand that Jesus Christ is saying to his disciples, listen, the Father is sovereign over it all. This isn't something out of the plan. The Father is sovereign over it all. He's actually in control of all things. There is nothing out of his control. It actually is as the Lord would have it. It actually is as the Lord would have it. 
That's the first thing we have to understand about this text, that God is in control of everything. True peace comes when we understand that. And many of you said that tonight as you were sharing your verses and the parts of Scripture that really comfort your heart. You understand that God is in control. But secondly, this peace is completely independent of circumstances. Completely independent of circumstances. Notice verse 29. And now I have told you before it comes to pass that when it comes to pass, you may believe. Independent of the circumstances, independent of what's happening. Listen, guys, this is actually going to happen. I am going to go die. I am going to leave this place. You are going to be left alone in, in the sense of a physical reality. I will be with you no longer. And yet the reality is you have my peace in spite of the circumstance that you will be in. I was thinking about this this week. Peace, this word peace, it's really a simple word in the English language. Simple word, just five letters, and yet it's packed with all kinds of meaning. I don't think we truly understand the meaning, especially here in the Western world when we think of peace. I, from time to time, have the opportunity to disciple people who might be going through some kind of trouble in their life, some kind of difficulty, whether it's a marriage problem or otherwise. Uh, All through my ministry life, that's been the case, and oftentimes it's not real peace that they have, even when they say there's no trouble. It's surface peace. There's, there's a, 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 a seeming calm on the surface, yet underneath is a tsunami just waiting to crash in. All kinds of turmoil underneath. The Western world, I think, is filled with that kind of thing. And my wife and I had the privilege several years ago, man, it's been 18 years ago now, to go to Israel. To go to Israel. Um, it wasn't uncommon as you're walking, you're hearing people talk and you would hear them use the word for peace in their everyday greetings. Tim probably noticed, knows this from being over there in school. A Jew would often be passing by and just say, Shalom. That's, that's the word for peace in the Hebrew language, Shalom. And for many Jews, it had come to mean something similar that we use in our day and age. Just have a nice day, right? I, I, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Well, have a nice day. That's that's kind of how shalom has come to be used. It's a positive statement. But it's taken on a general and generic meaning. For the most part, it, it simply means, I, I hope no trouble comes to you. I hope there's no trouble in your life. There's a sense then in our minds that peace means absence of trouble. When we think of peace, oftentimes we think of that, absence of trouble. Someone says, is your life at peace? And we immediately might think, well, yes, it's, I don't really have any trouble in my life. As long as we or someone we know isn't experiencing any kind of real trouble in their lives, then we believe there is peace. And furthermore, although it's a positive statement, in our minds, it is still a look at life from a negative perspective. Even though it's a positive statement, it's a still a look, a look at life from the negative reality, isn't it? Because even today, even in the meaning of peace today, an absence of trouble is to look at life from the side that believes if there's no trouble that's taking place, then there must be peace. It's 
much that we think about grace oftentimes. As long as things are good, God's grace is upon me. But when things are bad, God must be cursing me. That's how Job's friends thought. But that's not what Christ means here with his disciples. And that's not what the Bible teaches concerning peace. Because true peace is not simply the absence of trouble. Actually, Christ's peace is an internal settledness that is undisturbed even in the midst of trouble. That's what Christ's peace is. My peace I leave with you. This isn't just a generic kind of, hey, have a nice day peace. This is an internal settledness regardless and in the midst of any kind of trouble. In fact, in the context of John 14, the disciples are facing some pretty serious times coming up. They don't know them yet. Christ does, but they don't. Their friend and confidant already, Judas, has gone away with the purpose of betraying Jesus and betraying them. Jesus is speaking about his departure from the earth and their hearts are unsure of what's going to take place with them. They had left everything to follow Christ. They had turned their backs on really the Jewish rulers of the day. They'd become somewhat of a laughing stock even among the people, especially the Jewish leaders. Aren't you one of those that follows Jesus? They're fearful of the circumstances that they're going to face, and yet Jesus, in the face of this approaching circumstance, in the face of the approaching agony and pain of it all, Jesus brings comfort to their hearts by saying, I leave you peace. I leave you my settledness. I give you my own inner settledness. Not like the world gives do I give it. No, I give to you in a way that is all utterly unlike the world gives. Each of us who is here tonight in this place providentially by the hand of God as God has orchestrated our lives in order that we would make the decision to be here tonight to sit under the teaching of the word cannot miss that Jesus says, my own peace I give you. You cannot miss that. Because that is to say the peace that Jesus gives Listen, is supernatural in nature. It is supernatural in nature. The reason that this peace is undisturbed, even in the midst of difficulty, is because it is supernatural peace. Supernatural peace. It is Jesus Christ's peace. This is the same deep, soul-calming peace that Christ had, that Christ practiced in the face of His accusers. It's supernatural. It's divine. It's not human. None of us, without Jesus Christ, without the Holy Spirit indwelling us, none of us as mere people could ever stand up with calmness with real calmness and resolve as Christ did when Pilate said to Christ, do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? 
John chapter 19. Don't you know that who I am is what Pilate was saying? Don't you know that I have the power over your very life? Jesus' calm reply is, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. In my own vernacular, I hear Jesus saying, it is as the Lord would have it. Pilate, it is as the Lord would have it. You have no idea who you are. No purely natural man could have stood there with that undaunted resolve without supernatural peace. And it is that kind of practical peace that Christ gives to you and I who are His. As one man said as I was reading, this is peace that is undistracted fearlessness and trust. Undistracted fearlessness and trust. It's a peace that looks in the face of adversity and never flinches. It's a peace that comes from within that is not mere words but action. It's the very peace that held the martyrs to the stakes. It's the peace that Peter describes in that passage that I read this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2. Remember what it said? 1 Peter chapter 2, While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. How could Jesus Christ do that? Because of his peace. And his peace allowed him in his own heart, in his own reality, in his own humanness to entrust himself to him who judges righteously. That's what it says. It's that kind of peace. Same kind of peace the Apostle Paul speaks about in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, when he said, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God. It's the same peace Christ is talking about. My peace. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. People say all the time, oh, I have peace with this, and they're doing something disobedient. I have peace with this. No, you don't. You have deception with that, that you're defining as peace, but that's not peace. You don't have the peace of God. God would never give you real peace. He would never allow His peace to, to absorb your very heart and soul in the midst of disobeying what He has told you to do. The peace of Jesus Christ is a supernatural peace. It is not the peace that the world gives. It is supernatural in its nature. It is God's peace. So Jesus and Paul and Peter are speaking about a supernatural peace, the supernatural nature of that real peace. Therefore, if it's not God's peace, it's not real peace. It's a fabrication. It's a lie. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. It's not the world's peace. Why? Because the world's peace is a fleeting peace. The world's peace is a futile peace. The world's peace is a fake. It's a fraud. It's a thin layer of ice that you will crack through at any moment. 
It's an illusion. It doesn't work. In fact, contrary to all the world's growth and efforts at peace, real peace has never yet been found separate from Christ. History tells us that there have been over 14,000 wars in the world since just before Christ's birth. Is it any wonder the angel said at birth of Christ, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom God is well pleased. Men search for peace in all kinds of places, but the only place it can be found is in Jesus Christ. God brought peace. And yet peace for this world is an elusive target, often aimed at, never hit. The world finds its peace through an ever-changing array of tactics and techniques and psychological mechanisms to help mankind simply escape the pain of life. And yet even that escape is only for a moment. People escape through drugs and alcohol, an unending pursuit of the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, wherever that supposedly exists, only to bring momentary serenity to their life, but it will never bring real peace. Why? Because true practical peace is supernatural. It's not man-made. It comes from Christ alone. It's only found in Jesus Christ. True and lasting peace has nothing to do with circumstances. True and lasting peace has nothing to do with being born out of your emotions. True and lasting peace is outside of your environment. If you're sitting here tonight and you're looking at life and you're tracking on life and you're lacking true practical peace, it's not because you grew up under parents who were not able to get the Parent of the Century Award. There's a whole host of people in jail who continue to blame their parents for why they're there. You're not there because of that. It's not because you may be under the influence of bad teaching. If you don't have real practical peace, it's not because of any outside influence from the world that you're not under real practical peace. If you are not here tonight without practical peace, it's probably because you may not have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Because Christ said, my peace I give to you. None of us lack that as Christians. No matter the temptations of the world nor the absence of Christ, we can have true peace. I go away, Jesus said. I'm going to come to you. The Father is greater than I. I told you this before it comes to pass, so that when it does, you'll go, oh yeah, I remember. He told us this. You realize Jesus is telling us this, that he has given us his supernatural peace so that when those troubles come, we will go, oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah, I have his peace. I have his peace. That's something Satan doesn't want you to remember. 
And so Jesus says, it doesn't matter what the world is saying. It doesn't matter that I'm absent physically from you, nor does it matter that Satan is still active in the world. Notice what he says in verse 30 and 31. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me, that the world may know that I love the Father. As the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. What an example to us. What an example to us. Jesus said, I love you an example that you should walk in my steps. What an example to us. I love the Father. I do only what the Father asks. I never do. I never step outside of that. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't matter if it doesn't look like it's going to be a good road. None of that matters to me. I simply want others to know that I love the Father. I want to honor the Father. I love the Father. I want to honor the Father, so I keep the commandments of the Father, and that's the very same thing that Jesus asks of us. Even though Satan is still active in the world, the ruler of this world is the devil. God has allowed that for a time, for him to flourish in the world, to have his domain. He is the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of darkness. Working, he was working that night in the upper room through Judas. He was working through the Jewish leaders to get Christ arrested and crucified. But none of that troubled Christ. Why? Because Satan was nothing to him. Satan was nothing to him. God's sovereign plan was at work. It was at work then. It is at work now. So if we are here tonight and we are in Christ, then we can stand with him and have victory over the enemy. We don't have to succumb to that. We don't have to succumb to the temptations. We don't have to succumb to the worries. We don't have to be fearful. That's why Jesus says in John 27, let not your heart, or 14 verse 27, let not your heart be troubled. Stop letting your heart be troubled. Stop being fearful. That's what we do. You have my supernatural peace. You don't need to do that. Stop doing that. He who is in us is what? Greater than he who is in the world. We have another helper. We have one just like Christ who is with us forever. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. The ruler of this world. This is the legacy of Jesus Christ. True peace. Peace that surpasses all understanding. That's why Jesus said, stop being troubled. In other words, don't just hear the words. Like one of you said tonight, be a doer of these words. Live according to them. Live at true peace because, Jesus says, you know me. Live at true peace because you know me. Rejoice because I go to make peace. Follow me. 
do what I do. That's why I read that section of Scripture this morning to us because of the reminder for us as Christians in the midst of difficult times. Jesus Christ has left you an example for you to follow in His steps. You would think that as Peter writes that, he wouldn't write what he wrote. He would write something else. Like when God says this, you ought to do that. And when he says this, you ought to do that. Because these are the benefits of doing that. And this is the benefit of doing that. And this will really go well in your life. He doesn't say any of those things. He says the very things that we don't want him to say. Jesus is our example to follow in his steps. And he committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. He, he didn't sin in the moment. He didn't act false in the moment. While being reviled, he didn't revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. Listen, you want to have peace in life, entrust yourself to God the Father. That's exactly what Jesus is saying in verse 31. I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, that I do. You want to have the peace of Christ operative in your life? You want to have that peace operating? Then submit yourself to the Word of God in the midst of every moment. What's the necessary ingredient for true peace then? Trust God. Trust God. Jesus said at the beginning of chapter 14, Believe in God, believe also in me. Live a legacy of real peace. That's all I got. Let's pray. Father, I trust these words have resonated with each one of us. Their implications run far and wide for each and every life here, the different circumstances that you have allowed for each one of us to walk through. We don't know what is to come. We only know what we are right now and where we are right now circumstantially, and we know that we are right square in the middle of your sovereign hand. Your word tells us you are a very ever-present help in times of trouble. I think the real help is right here, this peace, the supernatural peace. We know Christ has given us and we can rest in that. We can rest with you. We can be settled in you even in the midst of the most stormy sea. Oh, it's true, Lord, in our humanness, we don't want stormy seas. Help us to trust you no matter what. No matter in times of ease, help us not be lackadaisical in our trust for you because things are going easy and especially when times are tough. For we know what you do and we know who you are and we know what the words of the song say. You hold us fast. Thank you for that promise. Thank you for the gift of the peace, your peace. May we rest there no matter what takes place.
that you would be glorified, the world might know that you are a true and living God. In our Savior's holy name we pray. Amen.